you know, we live in an incredibly interesting time in history. You have the internet now that has opened up access to us to all kinds of things around the world. In fact, right now you have access to an unbelievable amount of information on who God is and the Bible and and things like that. In fact, I'm using an iPad this morning that's got a Bible software on it that has about a it was $1,000 when I bought it back in seminary. Actually, it was a, a gift from my grandparents for me when I graduated from Liberty. And, um, and when we bought it, it was this $1,000 software that has something like $16,000 worth of books on it. So in an instant, I, I can do a search and pull up for you at least 20 different commentaries on the passage we're looking at, all the way back from early church fathers all the way up to the present. I have this incredible ability to have access to it. If you've got a smartphone, you've got things like podcasts and YouTube videos, and many of you guys listen to the Bible Broadcasting Network on the radio, or you watch TBN or you know, things like that. And as you watch these things, we have this incredible ability to have access to all kinds of Bible teaching and preaching. On the one hand, that's an incredible blessing. I mean, it really is awesome that you can have access to the greatest minds in church history almost immediately. We can read great books from great men and women of God throughout the ages and draw strength, encouragement, and understanding from them. But on the other hand, we face a different challenge, and that is that not every voice is worth listening to. We have access to all kinds of teaching, and some of it isn't all that good. If, if you're just learning about Jesus, you may not fully understand this yet, but there are a number of people who claim to follow Jesus but aren't actually a part of his kingdom. Throughout our study of the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen that Jesus has been confronting a group like that in his day. He's talked often about the scribes and the Pharisees, the hypocrites. These were the religious leaders who were supposed to be teaching people who God was and how they were supposed to follow him. But in the way that they were living and the way that they were teaching, it was all for show. It was for them to be recognized. It was for them to be able to take advantage of people, for them to be thought of highly. And there were all these religious leaders who instead of teaching the people and modeling for them how to follow God, they were in it for themselves. People followed them because they thought they were godly, but they were leading people away from the truth. So in our passage this morning, Jesus is going to give us a clear warning that's not just about the scribes and the Pharisees, but it's about every person you meet who claims to teach you how to live and how to behave. Now, I know I'm a theology nerd, so I, I listen to podcasts while I mow or while I run. Like, I, I've got stuff queued up for me to be able to listen to sermons from different pastors. Some of them are alive, some of them are dead. I love listening to sermons. Some of you have never even known that if you've got satellite, you actually have churches or you have some channels on there that have preaching on it. Some of you have never even known that, right? Some of you don't care about this. This is the only time you ever listen to anybody talk about God. But here's what I want to encourage you. If you're listening to anybody who's telling you how to live, how to behave, or how to think, whether it's a blog, a magazine, a newspaper, a media outlet, whatever it may be, they have a worldview. There's a way that they look at life. And if the way that they look at life is not through the lens of the kingdom of God. You need to be very careful who you follow, okay? I wish that I could tell you that all you need to do is throw on cable, you know, and and turn over to TBN or EWTN or whichever one, and and all you, you listen to that, it'll tell you everything you need to know about Jesus. I wish that I could tell you that everything you hear on Spirit FM or everything you hear on BBN or everything you hear on this is always gonna be God honoring, 
But as Jesus tells us today, there are people who are not ones we should follow. They're not actually speaking for Christ. They're not accurately representing him and his word and his truth. So my challenge for you this morning is to be careful who you follow. And by the way, that means me too. Now, as we recently redid our bylaws, one of the things that we made sure we put in there was the ability for the church to remove me as the pastor. Because see, there's a chance, because I'm human, that I could go off the deep end, that I could start teaching things that aren't God-honoring. And the church always needs a recourse to be able to even get rid of me if it came down to it. You need to be careful who you follow. No matter how much you like them, no matter how, much, how good they sound, you need to be careful who you follow. Now, let's see where Jesus makes this clear for us. And by the way, um, stay with me. Even if you don't listen to, to podcasts or watch preaching on TV or things like that, stay with me because there's application for all of us in this. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You ever heard the phrase wolf in sheep's clothing? That's where it comes from, okay? You'll recognize them, verse 16, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. By the way, he says that twice in just a handful of verses. That means you ought to pay attention. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, by the way, this is like, if you write in your Bible, this is something to underline. This is something to pay attention to. Not that everything isn't, but this really is, okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, what day? That's the day when everybody stands before Jesus in judgment. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Guys, that's really harsh words that Jesus gives here. For those of us who are teachers, it's especially frightening when we look at what God says in the rest of his word. But if you're here and you claim to follow Jesus, he said there's going to be a lot of people who stand before him at the day of judgment and say, God, I did so many good things. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Be careful who you follow. Let's make three observations about what it looks like for us to be careful who we follow. I wish I could have made these a little more succinct and memorable for you this morning, but I think it was important for us not to try to be cute about this one, but instead just to let it, let you, let it be what it is, okay? First thing we need to look at this is acknowledge that not everyone is who they claim to be. Not everyone is who they claim to be. Look at verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Jesus calls us to be on guard for people who aren't who they seem to be. Specifically, he's talking about the religious leaders who appear to speak for God, but are really in it for themselves. Now, I recognize that it is 2020, and we've you know, been through the whole Me Too thing earlier this year and all, so some of you are cynical enough. This is not an issue for you. You don't trust anybody. You don't believe anybody. You figure everybody has the ability to be an idiot, and so for you, this is not hard. But 
for, if that's you, by the way, I would encourage you, that's not really a, a healthy place to be. And, you know, it, it's understandable to be skeptical, um, but when we get to that point where we're cynical and bitter, that's not a good God-honoring position to be in, and you need to seek God's help in that and offering forgiveness and, and those kind of things and learning to trust again. It's a long process, but it's worth it. Now, others of us, though, are much more trusting. I'm one that I, I really try to, to be really, you know, you got to prove to me that you're wrong. Like, like you, I'm going to start off, I'm going to try to give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, Samantha sometimes refers to it as like the stray dog that you kick and you try to get him to go away and he comes back and like, yeah, you, you paid attention to me, right? Um, I, I'm kind of that guy, right? I'm, I'm more trusting and I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. So for those of us who want to give people the benefit of the doubt, especially people who stand up and claim to speak for God, we need to pay attention to the fact that not everybody is actually trying to honor Jesus who claims that they are. That's really sad. Like we, we would hope that everybody that goes to seminary or everybody who's got a ministry, or everybody who writes books, who claims to speak for God, we would hope that they're really good people and we want that to be the case. But the reality is not everybody who claims to teach, preach, or write is actually following Jesus. In his day, he was speaking about the religious leaders who were these hypocrites we've talked about. We don't want to be judgmental like they were, but at the same time, we have to pay attention to them. Later in Matthew, he would expressly condemn them for their hypocrisy in a series of woe statements. It's the the woes that he spoke against them. Here's what he said. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." I mean, if you drive past Sunset Cemetery and you look up, there's, you know, some, some big, nice, ornate tombstones. But if you were to dig up what's underneath those tombstones and look closely at it, it would turn your stomach. The smell would be horrific. What you would see would absolutely gross you out. That's what Jesus said the Pharisees were. They were these people who on the outside, they looked like a freshly decorated tomb, but in the inside, they were full of dead men's bones. They were full of hypocrisy. And unfortunately, many of those who write, many of those who speak, many of those who preach, who claim the name of Christ are in the same way. To the average ordinary person in Israel, the Pharisees seemed like guys that had it all together However, they were wolves in sheep's clothing. They were men who weren't truly following God, but instead were living to make themselves famous. Our culture in America makes us drawn to things that are big, right? In in America, the bigger an organization it is, the better it must be. And this has seeped its way into the church. So if we see somebody on TV or see somebody whose book has a display at Target, we have this automatic assumption that, that they must really love Jesus because God's blessed their ministry to where now lots and lots of people can hear about them. But guys, bigger is not always better. Many of those who have risen to the place where they have have done it because instead of trying to build God's kingdom, they're more interested in building their own fame, their own notoriety. The mark of a man's or woman's life and ministry is not found in the number of subscribers they have on your YouTube channel or what time they come on on TBN. 
It's not about how many books they sell or whether they speak at all the conferences and get interviewed by Oprah. Those are not good indicators of somebody who's following Jesus. Now, that also does not mean that somebody who has a book at Target is necessarily wrong. There's nothing spiritual about being small either. Small church pastors can be just as dangerous and deadly as a large church pastor who with a TV ministry, just without as big an influence. I could go off the rails just as well as anybody that's got a TV ministry, but it wouldn't have quite the impact. At the same time, though, I could still be a wolf in sheep's clothing. So as you're looking at what's going on, guys, I hate to burst your bubble, but you've got to be careful who you follow. Watch out for those who, instead of building God's kingdom, are consumed with building their platform. Not everyone is in it for your good and for God's glory. By the way, before we throw all the blame on televangelists and popular writers and things like that, remember that the reason they're popular is because people watch them. People buy their books. People go to their conferences. People follow their YouTube channel. They got popular for a reason. Here's what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, The time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. The reason that these guys and these ladies have the ministries that they have is because they like, as people like what they're saying. Many of these folks that are not following Jesus are, are hitting a niche of people that, that really like what they're saying, whether it actually lines up with the Bible or not. Whether it's the prosperity preacher who tells us that following Jesus will make us wealthy and all our problems will disappear, or for some, if it's the judgmental preacher who condemns anybody that you don't like, or maybe the the postmodern preacher or writer who tells you that nothing's actually right or wrong. Whatever category the sin issue is, whatever category the error is, there are people out there who are not speaking for God even though they claim to be. Not everybody is who they claim to be. You need to ask yourself why you like listening or reading or following the people you read and hear and watch. Is it just because you agree with everything they say and you like it and it makes you feel good? Then you may need to take a hard look at that. See, if we're going to recognize who the folks are that we shouldn't and we should and should not follow, the, the thing we need to do is before I follow someone's teaching, I need to also, number two, carefully examine the fruit of their teaching in life. I need to look at the fruit of their teaching and their lives. Now, think about how fruit works, right? It's the the end product of the whole cycle that allows the the tree or the plant to reproduce itself, right? It's got the seeds in it of what will be reproduced. So when you start thinking about the fruit of someone's life and their ministry is, what kind of person would I be? What would I believe about God? How would I act if I followed what they taught? Jesus gives us a clear illustration here. Look at verse 16 again. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit, right? Apple trees only produce apples. Grapevines only produce grapes. So when you look at the outcome of a person's teaching and life, what kind of fruit is being produced? As you evaluate whether or not you should follow somebody's teaching, take time to evaluate, like I said, what kind of person would I be if I followed their teaching to the letter? Like if I did everything that this person's telling me to do, how would I look? How would I live? Would I, 
would I truly live a life that is honoring and in line with what God says in his word? Here's some questions that you can ask. And this is not a, a you know, specific list, just to give you kind of an overview. One, does what they teach contradict what God says in the Bible? Okay, this is the first thing. By the way, you know how you can answer that question? You gotta know what's in the Bible first. See, my wife used to be a bank teller. And when they were going through teller training, they taught her all of the correct features of a dollar bill. What it should look like, color it is, where the numbers are, what the different security features look like, where the strips should be when you hold it up to the light, all those kinds of things. Why? So that then as she's counting money, she can just tell by feel or by look when something is fake. Now, they didn't show her or have her handle all the, this is how, you know, this is how you could counterfeit this, or this is how you could counterfeit this. No, she just learned this is what a dollar bill is supposed to look like. This is what a 20 looks like. This is what it feels like. So that, that immediately by knowing what was supposed to be, she could tell when something was wrong. And she did. She caught somebody one time. Fun. Right? So that's the same for us. If you and I are trying to figure out, should we follow somebody's teaching? The only way that we can do that is if we know what a dollar bill is supposed to look like. If we know from our own study of God's word who he is and what he's doing and how he's working. So first off, do they contradict the Bible with what they say? If that's the case, then watch out. Number two, does their teaching help me live for God's kingdom first or is it more about me? So often, many of the false teachers make Christianity about you and what you can get out of it. It's very clear. We actually have to be very cautious with some of the worship songs that we sing because there's a lot of worship songs that make it all about me and about what God's done for me. And it's not bad to reflect on those things sometimes. But if we make life all about me, and if that's what the emphasis of this is, then, then we'll miss out on what God's doing. Is, are, they, you know, are they pointing you to follow God's kingdom first or is it more about me? Okay, number three, does their teaching exalt Jesus as the only way of salvation or do they present him as one of many options or even a Jesus plus works kind of salvation? What do they do with Jesus? That's one of the key things you can answer. If, if you can look at their teaching and examine what is it that they teach me to do with Jesus? Do they exalt him as the king of kings and the only way of salvation? If they do anything else, then they're not someone to follow. All right, next set of questions. Do they exalt God as holy and hold up God's word as a standard of right and wrong? Or is it more about how I feel and my experience that determines what's true? Is it about experience or is it about God and his kingdom? Is it about his word and what God has said to be true? Now, flip it to the other side. Do they project pride and condemn people for things the Bible doesn't? Lest we be too hard on the prosperity gospel guys or the postmodern relative guys, keep in mind that, that sometimes the fundamentalist preacher who will send people to hell for things that the Bible doesn't expressly condemn can be just as much a wolf in sheep's clothing. So what we've got to do is, as we're looking about who we follow, who we listen to, who we read, who we watch... We've got to make sure that we're taking some time to evaluate their teaching. Now, don't just apply that to their teaching, but also the fruit of their lives. When you look at the things that they do, do they model selflessness or selfishness? 
Does their demeanor exalt Jesus or do they make it all about them? Are they marked by humility or arrogance? What, what is it that they look like? Do they look like you would expect Jesus to look like? And I'm not talking about like with a beard and a robe and stuff, but does the way they conduct themselves seem to reflect the way that Jesus would have carried himself on earth? If it's somebody you get to know personally, how do they treat the staff at the restaurant? That's a key indicator of who they really are. Prosperity preachers are the easiest ones to pick on because it's just so blatant. I've heard of pastors giving luxurious, like, six-figure cars to other pastors as a gift. The Bible says that a workman's worth his wages, but guys, that's ridiculous. That doesn't model Christ-likeness. That doesn't model a God-honoring selflessness. That's just flaunting it at that point. If you're giving a Bentley to another pastor, you're, <clears throat> your priorities are wrong. Let's just go there. Guys, the people that you listen to as, they, as you read them, as they preach, as they teach, as you're watching their YouTube channel, they ought to say some things that make you frustrated and mad sometimes. They ought to confront sin in your life, but at the same time, they should do it in a way that's backed up by what the Bible says. So who are you following? Who are you listening to? You say, well, Sean, I, I, I've been listening to you know, Jordan Peterson, and should, should I follow Jordan Peterson? Guys, Jordan Peterson's not a Christian. If you've listened to Jordan Peterson's teachings, there may be some beneficial things about discipline, but he is not a Christian. Be very careful who you follow. I'm not just talking preachers. I'm talking about anybody you're reading, anybody you're walking, anybody you're listening to. If they're not lifting up the kingdom of God, don't follow them. Now, we grab things that we glean from others. And this is also not demanding perfection because none of us will get there. Every single teacher is going to say something wrong sometimes. They're going to come down in the wrong place on a particular issue. They're going to have sin issues that they struggle with where they've not fully surrendered the lordship of Christ in that area and they're still wrestling with that. It happens. But look at the overall fruit of their life. Look and see. Does it, does it point me to Christ? Does it exalt his kingdom? It's our job to evaluate life as best we can. Verse 19, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire, though. You'll recognize them by their fruit. We're called to inspect it. When all is said and done, though, we do have to acknowledge that God is the ultimate judge. God is the ultimate judge. You and I, when we make a judgment call about a teacher, and if you want, I can give you a list of which ones to listen to and which ones not to and which ones are in the in-between list. <laughs> I've got some that I give you a qualified yes on, some I give you a qualified no on, some I'll give you an absolute yes, absolute no. Now, at any point, any of those guys could go off the deep end or could get right with God and things could change, who knows? As we're discerning about what we believe, we're supposed to look at the fruit of people's lives. But ultimately, God's the one that's going to judge them. Looking in verse 19, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's not my job. I don't swing the ax. That's God's. God is the one who's the ultimate judge. However, the focus here is to remind us that God is this ultimate judge of every human heart. For those who claim to speak for God, we are held to a higher standard. James 3.1 says this, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because know that you will receive a stricter judgment. 
Many of you guys are kind enough to text me and let me know that you're praying for me. I appreciate that. I truly do. Because when I stand up on Sunday mornings and say, this is what God says, when I sit down with our group on Wednesday night and I I go through and we're writing now in John and say, this is what you need to know about how the Trinity works and this is what Jesus was teaching us about the Holy Spirit and his role in the world. When I'm saying those things, I am going to have to give an account to God for all of the way that I do that in a way that you won't. Because God's given me this privilege of standing up here to preach and to teach. If any of you are ever thinking about the prospect of becoming a Bible teacher, whether that's a Sunday school class, a small group, or standing up and maybe God's calling you into vocational ministry and you're going to serve God as a pastor in some way, make sure that you are ready to carry the weight because you will incur a stricter judgment. Well, Sean, that's awful harsh. Oh, it gets worse. Jesus was talking to his disciples one day. There were some little kids who had been brought to him And he tells them, here's how you can expect, this is what you should think about a a teacher who leads one of these little kids astray. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. It would be better for me to have a giant rock tied around my neck and me to be drowned in the depths of the sea than to face judgment before God for causing even one little one to fall away from him. God will judge these false teachers. He will hold them to account. He said that he'll cut down every tree that doesn't bear fruit and he's thrown it into the fire. Jumping back down to verse 21, this deserves a closer look. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22, listen to this, guys. On that day, many will say to me, not just a handful, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? then I'll announce to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, lawbreakers. That means that there may be people on my absolute yes list that only God knows. I look at their life and what I see seems to be good fruit. I mean, wouldn't you say that driving out demons, prophesying, doing miracles, aren't those good things? If they actually do those things, isn't that, doesn't that look like good fruit to us? But when they stand before God, they'll simply be a whitewashed tomb. They looked really good to everybody, but God was not deceived. They didn't catch him off guard. He knew. The entire time they may have duped everybody else, They gave lip service to Jesus. They did things that make other people think that they were great people, but God, knowing their heart, knew that they had never truly come to Christ. Now, again, look at the wording there. It's not that they knew Jesus for a while and then got off track. It's it's not him saying, I don't even recognize you anymore. What did he say? I'll announce to them, I never knew you. We believe strongly that once a person is genuinely in a relationship with Jesus Christ, they will continue in that relationship until the day they stand before him and for all eternity. 
So these who stand up and say, well, I had this big teaching ministry. My books were on sale at Walmart and, and, and I had a feature on the front of this magazine or I spoke at this conference that many of those teachers throughout the thousands of years of church history will stand before God and him will say, I never knew you. So if that's true of teachers, folks who sit in in seminary classes, folks who spend hours poring over their Bible and stand up on stage and and declare who Jesus is or, or sit down at their keyboards and write hundreds of words about how to follow Jesus. If that's true of us, then what about those who sit in a pew every Sunday and think they're good? What about those who, their mama went to church, brought them to church, they think they're okay. What hope do they have? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Who did Jesus say would gain entrance into heaven? The one who does the will of his Father. Right? How many of you would be willing to stand before God and say, you know what, God? I did everything you wanted me to do. Anybody there? If you are, you need to go back and look at your Bible. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take my best day and hope that it would get me into heaven. Well, Sean, who can get in? The only one who can come into the kingdom of heaven is the one who did his father's will perfectly. Who's that? Jesus. Well, Sean, then how do I get into heaven? I get into heaven because God looks not at what I've done, but looks at what Jesus has done for me. See, that's why in John chapter 6, the people were trying to figure out, what can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. How can we do the miracles that Jesus is doing? What can we do? Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. You know what God calls you to do? Believe that Jesus got in. Believe that Jesus is the one who lived the sinless life, who died the perfect death, who was raised for you and now offers you his life. And as you do, when you place that believing faith in Jesus Christ, he draws you to himself. And as you've placed that trust in him, and as you've allowed him to draw you to himself, you gain entrance to the kingdom of God, not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done. So, If I were to stand before God and have to give an account for why I'm allowed into the kingdom of God or answer the question of why he should let me into heaven, my answer is because Jesus died for me. Because he was raised. Because he's made a way available for me. And I've believed in the one you've sent. As the ultimate judge, he is the one who allows us in As we've said many times in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven, given to people by which we must be saved. No other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You gain entrance into heaven because Jesus was the one who fulfilled every single picture in this section. He was the only one who was perfectly obedient without any hint of selfishness. He's the one who, who... 
walked the difficult road to the cross for you. So where does that leave us this morning? Well, I want to challenge you first and foremost to examine yourself to see if you are saved. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care what positions you have held. I don't care what you have done. Are you genuinely saved today? Because you've put your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Paul said this way in 2 Corinthians, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you fail the test. Test yourselves. Spend time this afternoon and say, God, have I truly surrendered my life to you? Have I truly been saved by what Jesus has done? There will be a bunch of people who think that they're getting into heaven and they're dead wrong. If you're confident, though, that you are saved through Jesus' death and resurrection, then I want you to take some time this week to evaluate the main voices that you're listening to. Are the men and women that you're watching, that you're reading, that you're listening to, are they pointing you to Christ? Or are they wolves in sheep's clothing? Don't care how many subscribers, don't care how many books, don't care how many whatever. Are they exalting Jesus? If you followed their teaching to the end, where would it lead? What red flags do you see in their personal and public lives that give an indication that they may actually be wolves in sheep's clothing? Now, ultimately, it's up to God to judge every human heart. But he has called and commissioned us to examine the fruit. Be careful who you follow. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we've gathered for worship, we thank you that you have worked in us. We know that there's a lot going on right now. We know that there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of confusion. And so what we want to do this morning is take just a moment here to try to find some clarity. Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning? If there's somebody here or somebody watching online, somebody listening to this later, who has never genuinely come to that place of surrendering to Christ, would you make that clear to them right now and draw them to yourself? If there's somebody who's been listening to voices that aren't pointing them to you, would you give them a sensitivity to your voice? Would you lead them to, to people who will point them to Christ's likeness to guide them? God, I pray that you would help each of us for every individual who has heard this message this morning that we would stand before you and not hear that you never knew us but instead hear that you welcome us in into our master's rest.